welcome to Ultiversal Q, your guide to the ultimate universe. Now in podcast form, I'm Luke. And I'm Devin. Today, today we'll be talking about Ultimate X-Men, in addition to the first crossover book of the Ultimate Universe. Ultimate. Uh, what is it good for? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Say it again. Absolutely yeah. nothing. Um, yeah, we have two stories that are kind of weird. Like, there's a lot that I like in them, but there's just some weird approaches that our good old friend Mark Millar uh, brings this time. Up first is Ultimate X-Men Volume 1, number 21 through 25. Hellfire and Brimstone, written by Mark Millar, with pencils by Adam Kubert, inks by Danny Mickey, colors by Dave Stewart, and letters by Chris Eliopoulos for issues 21, 22, and 25. And then issues 23 and 24 have art by Kare Andrews, with assists by Rusty Beach, with digital paints by Dave McKagan, Chris Sotomayor. And we start off with Kitty Pride, who is a teenager who gets in trouble for trying to go to a non-supervised party. Ho ho ho, busted kitty. Yeah, and when she gets in trouble, she starts phasing through the floor before she runs out on the street after seeing her neighbor having sex with the plumber. As one does. Which is actually like, well, and they actually like set up when he is going mm-hmm. in the house and everything. Which is a weird, but I, uh, like, continuous bit. Uh, So she ends up almost getting hit by several cars and then ends up into the sewers. And she has to call her mom to pick her up. Her mom, Teresa Pride, has reached out to Xavier before. And he finally offers to let them check out the school. Which doesn't really get off to the best start because Jean is driving them there in a sports car while Cyclops is hot dogging it and the Blackbird above them. And when like Charles first shows up, he is not used to talking without telepathy, which makes him come off as a bit detached. And so as Jean explains how the professor helped her to get control over her powers and also helped the other students learn to control theirs. Uh, She also talks about how the X-Men help on various missions, and they are financially supported by a secret organization. Charles, meanwhile, meets with Teresa, who will let Kitty stay, but only to learn to use her powers and not to participate in super cool kick-ass missions with the rest of the X-Men, which Charles reluctantly accepts. So the team leaves to watch them go so Kitty can pack up, but Jean is suddenly overcome with the vision of a fiery phoenix. Bum, bum, bum. Which apparently she's had before as the, it was addressed that she was being picked up from a mental institution when the professor found her. But, you know, it, it, it's fine. It's just her maturing body. Which yeah. sounds really creepy every time Charles says it. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile in Pakistan, Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch are leading the Brotherhood of Mutants, and specifically a group of post-animal mutants, including Prosimian and Evolved Gorilla, to attack a new weapons plant, and they end up disarming the entire nuclear arsenal for Pakistan. Newer members of the Brotherhood don't like Quicksilver's leadership, though, finding him weak compared to Magneto, and feeling that they don't do enough and they want to change who is running things, with Blob being the only loyalist to the twins. It is weird how all of a sudden it's like, oh, hey, here's like 
a bunch of new mutants and they all used to be lab animals but also they're part human now it's strange yet none of them were hick monkey or gorilla yeah and pro simian likes to watch animals on tv having sex yeah i mean it is kind of a question of what are you going to do Back at the mansion, Jean has recovered from the attack, and Xavier thinks that it's just Jean's powers maturing more. Meanwhile, Kitty picks the name Shadowcat, and Cyclops is trying to stop her from trying to get into missions. While he's working on making plans to go into the Savage Land because some Marines vanished at Magneto's old base there when they were trying to take his technology. Wolverine comes in, though, to give Scott some sass about how Jean is missing his Wolverine dick, and uh, Scott is not have. Sorry, I am not having any of that, Logan. I don't need to talk about how Gene is missing your dick. Don't push it, man. Don't push it, man. And so he breaks and slugs Wolverine into the face, which is a excellent full page splash. Oh yeah. Cowboy hat flying, blood flying. (laughs) Yep. So Scott tells Kitty to get to the professor, and the two start to fight until Xavier shows up and stops uh, Wolverine before he screws Cyclops, and the two of them are put into psychic timeout because Xavier is disappointed in them. But that is also interrupted when Jean has a vision of the Phoenix again and also some goblin things that don't really get explained. And now we've gone to number issues 23 through 24. Uh, how did you feel about Carrie Andrews' work? I like the art. Yeah, I, I feel like it softens a lot of what Mark Millar is doing. Either mm-hmm. he was writing for them or just like something else. Yeah. No, I agree. I, li- I like the, ch- the change with this one. Mm-hmm. Like, I wouldn't mind Carrie Andrews doing all the art for the book just because... It is a bit more of the weird and funny, quirky side of X-Men. And then it's like, oh, yeah. and then we're going to get back to our good friend Adam Kubert and shit's going to hit the fan. Which I like Adam Kubert's art, but yeah, mm-hmm. I, I agree that uh, it fits better with the X-Men here. Mm-hmm. Beast, meanwhile, has still been getting catfished by the Blob Online, who's pretending to be Naomi, a supermodel secret mutant with a PhD, which other new members of the Brotherhood don't like, and Beast is getting really close to her. Meanwhile, Scott and Jean share a moment on the psychic plane, while Wolverine, who Xavier swapped in for Colossus to help Cyclops and Wolverine learn to work together, flies them to the Savage Land to check on the Marines, and Jean wishes Cyclops was there in real life to help with the Phoenix Visions. I feel like Adam Cooper would have not done that moment as good. Like, Scott and Gene actually feel like teenagers there. Yeah. Which I really appreciate. Because usually I kind of forget that they're teenagers. Yeah, like, there's that cover coming up for, like, issue 28 or whatever, and it's like, Gene does not look like a teenager on that cover. Yeah, well, even just just the full-page spread of... Cyclops socking Wolverine mm-hmm. looks very much like what the more modern day version of Cyclops would look like socking Wolverine. Yeah, I I appreciate someone who can render teens and who can do these nice soft moments, mm-hmm. and also the moments where Beast is getting catfish. And I am glad that 
like that whole weird plot line is actually going to come to a head finally. Mm-hmm. So Beast, meanwhile, discusses some concerns that Naomi has, like, why is this organization called the Hellfire Club funding the X-Men? And is Xavier potentially mind-controlling all of them? But Beast trusts in Xavier, and I do like that the question of mind-control keeps coming up. I don't honestly remember if we ever get a conclusive answer to it, though. Yeah, I don't remember either. Uh, Meanwhile, Senator Turk is helping Iceman, Bobby Drake's parents, to push a $100 million lawsuit against Xavier, saying that he brainwashed and endangered Iceman. But Bobby isn't happy about it because the senator was also the one who really pushed for the production of Sentinels, and his parents really want the money since they become social pariahs, with his father even losing his job. And then meanwhile, Cyclops and Wolverine have reached the Savage Land, only to find out that Kitty snuck on board, and they only discovered her after they landed, so she gets ordered to go back to the ship and watch Adam Sandler movies. That sounds like a great day. It sounds like a punishment to me too, Kitty. We're just two different people, Luke. You can come to Minnesota at the end of May. Adam Sandler will be doing some stand-up. I'm probably going. Did that just hurt you a little bit inside, Luke? No. I mean, it makes sense. You, I like how people are like, Luke, you're a trash boy just because you like flavored coconut rum and Taco Bell a lot. Well, people who hate you for Taco Bell is wrong, Luke. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, Taco Bell is wonderful. Yeah. So is coconut rum. Anyways, go ahead. Uh, Blobby Wall continues talking as Naomi and uh, he criticizes Xavier, claiming to be a pacifist when he killed Magneto, and Beast reveals that that actually didn't happen. The rest of the Brotherhood becomes interested, and Beast, unaware, explains there was a mass hallucination and explains where he's living now, and Pro Simeon tells Blob to arrange a meeting for coffee. As Wolverine and Cyclops enter the base and argue, Kitty calls to check in with Xavier, who plans to expel her because she broke the rules. At the press conference, Bobby is supposed to be reading a statement on live TV that Senator Turk had written for him, but instead he decides to tell the truth, even though it's going to hurt his family, and he walks off and freezes Turk's balls. That's a power move. Seems power move. Mm Mm-hmm. As Wolverine and Cyclops get to the center of the base, they are beset on by swarms of techno-zombies who attack until the two of them get corralled to be face-to-face with the now-sentient computer that ran Magneto's Island, which has now mutated into an artificial intelligence, because I guess Mark Millar thinks that everything can be a mutant. It is also interesting how this came out before, like, the dangerous stuff, and some of the really Mm -hmm. weird parallels to Morrison's X-Men at this time. Uh, so now it has these cyborg corpses of the people who came to disable it, and it's turned them into the post-human race until Kitty shows up, accidentally phasing through the machine, causing it to explode. And it turned out she did that because she saw a dinosaur around the plane that scared her. And so Kitty, Wolverine, and Cyclops start to book it out of there. And then, meanwhile at the Hellfire Club... Brothers Sebastian and the rest of the club are prepared for the Phoenix to arrive in 48 hours. <gasps> the X-Men get invited to visit and meet with the members of the Hellfire Club with Xavier unaware of what to expect at a red carpet affair and he even telekinetics uh, his way over to the stairs. 
which I like because that's the great opposition play to the famous stairs panel. Mm-hmm. Uh, Storm and Jean, meanwhile, discuss how he is worried, or sorry, how she is worried about what happened to Cyclops, and the team goes on to hobnob with celebrities and politicians like everyone's favorite, Vladimir Putin, Ted Turner, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Alan Greenspan, and then Marvel creators Mike Martz and Mike Wrecked. There's also Mr. Seville, who may be a reference to Paris Seville, who in the 616 continuity used to be the White Queen. Yeah, the uh, Marvel Unlimited, or the Marvel Wikia, did not point out that Mike Martz and Mike Wright uh, were references to the Marvel creators, but I figured that lined up timeline-wise, and then the Mr. Seville thing was just a weird thing where his face is in shadow, so I wonder if that was who it originally was, or if they had to go back in and do some sort of editing or something. Because, mm. I mean, yeah, Paris Seville was the White Queen back in Marvel 616 continuity and, like, the backups where it's like, oh, this is how Sebastian Shaw made Emma Frost the White Queen. Interesting. It's either coincidence or a very weird poll. Where are you getting your weird pulls, Xavier Files? And also, I did not mean it like that. Also, hopefully at this point, we have not killed each other at Jim City Comic Con. Uh, Xavier, not Xavier Files, talks to Sebastian Shaw, who he knows from his company, and he is unaware that the club is plotting against him. Also, Xavier has been handing out pieces by Stephen Hawking about how mutants are the only opposition to the evolution of artificial intelligence, which is a great bit after Kitty literally stopped artificial intelligence on accident. Mm -hmm. Like, I do like those very well-set-up bits. Uh, Suddenly, the Hellfire Club starts shooting at the X-Men, starting with Colossus and Shaw gloats that nobody knows that they're there at the club. Oons, 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 oons. And Shaw takes Jean and the others to the chamber where she has been drugged to help and release the Phoenix God. Xavier doesn't believe they are really taking Jean's whole Phoenix thing seriously because that's crazy. But Shaw explains that this has been their plan and reason for funding the Xavier Institute and they plan to sacrifice the other students to her. Meanwhile, Beast is trying to call for help, but Shaw has the communicator. Silly Beast. You shouldn't have been horny on Maine. That's true. Uh, as the dawn arrives, the phoenix is summoned, and she wakes up in Jean's body and is super angry that they summoned her. She points out that they betrayed her host friends and kills them all and plans to redistribute the wealth of the club to Jean. And she starts to help and cure people after that. Charles tries to stop her, and the phoenix gets angry, but he is able to stop her in time and explodes the base, freeing the X-Men. It's a weird thing to do, Charles. Do you want that old man to die? Do you want a guy to commit suicide? I mean, if the Phoenix is here as a life force, let it be a life force. Charles never knows what he wants. Charles is an asshole. Of our days and our lives. With all of them freed, Beast is able to finally make that phone call and tells him that the Brotherhood has captured him. Uh, Psych... Yeah, psychically took what they needed to have Magneto freed. He spells the words, Thank you, Charles, with metal in the air. Magneto is now restored. He meets with the new Brotherhood, and when Prosimian claims he restored Magneto, Prosimian gets killed because Magneto is a racist against other type of non-human mutants. 
Good job. Good for you, Magneto. Way to be the worst. And so he puts out the order to bring everyone else back and that he will deal with his children personally. I'm just thinking of like that bit in uh, Ultimate X-Men or in uh, the Morrison X-Men with like beak and carrots. Mm-hmm. Let's see if I can pull that up really quick. Oh. Uh, yes. Oh, okay. No, Beak, or, yeah, Beak just confuses a carrot with a, he just calls a carrot a fruit. But it's actually a vegetable. And he thinks that carrots can feel. Oh, Beak. I keep wanting to say Hawk, but somehow my mind is not letting me. I wonder why, Luke. We then get to issue 26, Return of the King Prelude. <gasps> With art by Ben and Ray Lai, colors by Dave Stewart, and letters again by Chris Eliopoulos. So we flash back to eight years ago as we join Charles leaving Moira and David to go with Magneto saying that he figures that they're going to miss that all. Womp womp. A year later, they save Ricky Gibson, a black mutant with explosive powers that he can't control from being murdered, and Charles offers to help him gain control. Six years later, the Rolling Stone magazine is invited to learn about the Brotherhood of Mutants, which is a proto-version of the Xavier School using Magneto's money, because they want to share their idea of having students to help and shape the future of the world. Five years later, they've landed in Australia for the first time to start making their new community, and Xavier and Magneto are still hoping for peace. Wait, that should be the Savage Land. Five years later, they have landed in the Savage Land for the first time and are working on making their new community, and Xavier and Magneto are still hoping for peace, but Magneto is growing less willing to have that. Four years later, Ricky, who has now been rebranded as Detonator, is checking in as Magneto worries that Xavier and the others will want to stop him from taking over the world. In five months down the line, Magneto has started to wear his telepathy-blocking helmet because he believes that Xavier has been manipulating them and working behind his back. Then, three years in the past, Xavier and his followers tried to escape, and Xavier ends up hospitalized after Magneto throws a spike through his spine. The Brotherhood declares war on the world of Homo sapiens a week later. Another week later, Xavier finds out that he will be wheelchair-bound, and then one week later, Detonator blows up the Pentagon. And then we join Magneto and Sabretooth, now in the Arctic Circle, working on their plan for a new base. What did you think of this art, Luke? I didn't have any major issues with it. It's sort of not quite... It's like a 2000s house style. Yeah. Charles's face looks weird. Yeah, there's some off panels it doesn't but sometimes his face looks like he's made of stone mm -hmm. but now we're gonna kick off to 2003's ultimate war written by once again mr mark millar pencils by chris bacalo inks by tim townsend andy owns and aaron dowd with colors by paul mounts and letters once again by chris eliopoulos at the Brooklyn Bridge, a crashed 18-wheeler has traffic stalled, and then suddenly the bridge and the 800 people on it are destroyed. 
Magneto appears on TV announcing his big old return and giving the world six months to hand over its power. Fury meets with uh, President Bush and Channy, and they're all angry that Xavier had lied about Magneto being dead, so Fury prepares to send in the Ultimates, who are at the time working on rescuing people, except for Cap, Black Widow, and Hawkeye, who are trying to find their targets. As the death toll comes in, the rogue members of the Brotherhood of Mutants watch on before Cap's team comes in, taking most of them by surprise, except for Rogue, who steals Toad's powers, and then tries to escape Hawkeye until he shoots her and knocks her out, proving that he is still the good Arrow Boy, who is still, like, the least interesting ultimate and adventure in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the Ultimate Universe right now. Right now. Uh, his, his, his turn in Ultimates 2 is still one of the best. Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver come in to me with the rest of the Ultimates because they understand that it is safer for them with the Ultimates than it is out there where their dad can get them and Captain America still vouches for them and he plans to split the team across major cities to detain anti-human mutants, which Thor is not a fan of and like he continues to be the sort of voice of reason, but here he also doesn't get a lot of scenes to voice protest. Ultimate Thor is a good man. He's the only good ultimate. Mm-hmm. Iron Man and S.H.I.E.L.D., meanwhile, go to the Xavier School, knocking out the defenses so it doesn't look like a Jehovah's Witness base, and he finds the school packed up and empty and assumes that they have teamed up with the Brotherhood, which, you know, when you assume, it makes an ass out of you and me, Iron Man. The Wasp goes on to visit Jean's father, who doesn't believe that Xavier would be working with Magneto, reveals that he somehow knew about the mind wipe the entire time, but he also supported it because he wanted to give a second chance, and he blames S.H.I.E.L.D. rightly for the X-Men going into hiding, and he refuses to, but is also unable to say where the X-Men are hiding. Is it weird, Luke, when in your universe Nick Fury is probably the second least shitty person on the team? I mean, he is supporting the war on terror, which... Oh, there's that. Yeah. I mean, Hawkeye's boring, but we haven't really seen him do much more than shoot arrows and kill... Oh, fair enough. Yeah. In that case, good for you, Hawkeye. Second most shitty member. (laughs) By default. The two sweetest words. (laughs) Uh, at the new safe house, Charles checks in on Moira, who is unhappy having to hide while Xavier wants to know what's been going on with Savage Land, because he can't reach out. Uh, he also wants to catch Magneto and stop him, but without killing him. Storm and Jean went for supplies, and tensions are running high in their secret base, and the Danger Room keeps sending Orthodox Jews instead of ninjas. Storm blames Hank for being an idiot and getting them in the situation, and when Jean tries to stick up for him, Storm blames her as well. When suddenly Jean senses the ship returning from the Savage Land, or with the Savage Land gang, but only Wolverine and Kitty are coming back, and Kitty says that Cyclops has died. I gotta say, another great Mark Millar moment is the Orthodox Jewish ninjas. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Cap, meanwhile, recognizes Wolverine from his profile photo as Jim Howlett, someone he knew from Canadian Special Forces who fought with him in World War II, where they called him Lucky Jim because he wouldn't die when he got filled with bullets. Cap goes on to lay out their three goals. Find the X-Men, find the Brotherhood, and then find out when they're going to attack. 
And Tony, meanwhile, has been working on a global version of Cerebro to track mutants when suddenly the power goes out. Magneto comes in and he is able to stop the Ultimate single-handedly and finds his children. And he's angry that they messed with the Brotherhood by pacifying it, so he shoots Quicksilver in the knees and makes Scarlet Witch watch. And then he leaves after wiping out all the information on the Brotherhood. But then he restores power and Cap swears revenge. And when Charles reaches out to try and make peace, Captain America ain't having that. He's Captain Ultimate America. Oh, Cap. Fury, meanwhile, brought uh, the president uh, to Lincoln. Leaders in need Christian-only lockdown network, a town designed to be a security system which where almost everything is defensive. Things are getting worse because of the fear, and Fury knows he needs to be active, so Fury has also promised sweet revenge. Lincoln is such a weird idea. Yeah. Like, I don't think it ever comes into play, but I could be wrong. Like, we're getting into the parts where I don't remember much. Yeah, I agree. And we're far enough away from, like, the very bad points. Yes. Uh, Banner, meanwhile, escapes when the power went out, causing damage, and he ate six people because, yeah, sure, Mark Moore. Uh, Cap also used these moments to talk to Janet, saying he knows she's a mutant, but he still loves her. Mutants, meanwhile, have been escaping and getting forced to be registered or rounded up. Bobby Drake and his family are living with friends for the time being, and his parents have effectively threatened to disown him if he ever sees those X-Men again. Back at the X-Men's base, Jean is frustrated, especially when Xavier explains that he wants to reach out to Magneto to talk, but he tells her to just trust in him. Kitty, meanwhile, has helped Hank to sort of fix the danger room by making the ninja rabbis a feature, not a bug. And Jean tells Xavier in confidence that she's been seeing into Wolverine's mind after the Phoenix incident, and that she thinks that he let Cyclops die so he could hook up with her again. Charles and Kitty go to meet with Magneto, who's using Unisi Untouchable as a proxy, where Charles has promised to join forces because they're already being targeted by S.H.I.E.L.D. and the Ultimates, and... He figures if they crush the United States together, the rest of the world will surrender to them, and he gives Magneto 48 hours to decide. Wolverine then follows Unis, which was Charles' actual plan, and he lied to the X-Men so that they would believe him and believe uh, the plan so that Magneto couldn't peer to their minds and find out that it was a trip. But Magneto, meanwhile, expected the betrayal, and he has told the Ultimates how to follow Xavier anonymously. <gasps> He's a snitch. Soup snitch. Uh, Shield clears the area and Iron Man launches the initial assault with Neuro Scramblers, which stops Charles and Jean. Wolverine, meanwhile, is being chased by Shield Choppers and refuses to go to X Factor and Gitmo, so he destroys some choppers. Uh, Xavier and Jean are, meanwhile, knocked out as, as Iron Man goes in and runs into Colossus, which he was not prepared for. Storm starts summoning some weather and comes up against Thor. Beast, meanwhile, carries Xavier through the sewers and into the danger room, so Hawkeye and the soldiers have to fight the rabbi ninjas, and when Black Widow tries to corner them further down, Beast ends up flying out with the jet. The Black Widow clung to the outside of it and blows it up. The two of them manage to eject, though, only for Iron Man to grab them by the parachutes until Wolverine attacks Iron Man, taking him by surprise because Wolverine is radar-proof, apparently. Uh, Wolverine stops destroying the suit till Beast tells him to save Jean and Kitty. That pair got cornered by some soldiers who were unhappy about losing people on the bridge, so Wolverine lands and kills the soldiers, telling Jean to cover Kitty's eyes. 
Captain America shows up and Wolverine doesn't remember his past and he starts to remember things when Cap brings them up, freezing Wolverine before Cap is able to pump him full of some bullets. Meanwhile, but good old lucky Jim, he didn't die again. Meanwhile, Colossus... We don't know that yet. Well, that's true. <laughs> Meanwhile, Colossus moved to attacking uh, Thor so Hawkeye doesn't shoot him with a mini-nuke, which uh, stops him. I... It is interesting how it went from like, oh, yeah, things are going to be kind of slow and really talky for a bit. And then it's like, oh, yeah, here's all the crossovers you expected to happen early on. But at least I think they have a reasonable reason for the X-Men to fight the Avengers. It's not like X-Men versus Avengers. Yes. Avengers versus X-Men. Agreed. But there also isn't like 50 years of continuity and stories that have happened where they should trust each other. Oh, yeah. Anyways, as things are looking their darkest, Iceman comes in, freezing the soldiers, taking out the narrow scramblers, and restoring psychic connections. Xavier paralyzes everyone who isn't a mutant, so the rest of the X-Men can escape, and that's when Wasp, who he didn't know was a secret mutant, comes in and knocks out Xavier, allowing him to be captured, but the rest of the X-Men escape. That night, the Ultimates have Xavier locked up, but Magneto reaches out to Charles, offering him a final chance to switch sides. And Xavier turns him down, which Magneto expected, which was why he ended up supporting the Ultimates and capturing the X-Men, so they would weaken each other, and then he could take on the remaining pieces, which we'll get to next time on Ultiversal Q. Dun-dun-dun! It's really well set up. Good job, Mark. The Mark's on, he's on. He is. And, I mean, I don't feel like anything is here is like super cheap or exploitative yeah uh so uh we got in a question uh play comics podcast which i believe you were on yes i was uh wants to know which member brings the best snacks to meetings what do they bring and why and he does not specify what team he is referring to so i figure we can do X-Men, Ultimates, the Brotherhood, and then the Hellfire Club, and then us. So who do you think brings the best snacks to the X-Men at this point? They'd probably say Beast. I feel like Storm would be pretty good. Like, I feel like she would know people enough. Like, Beast is probably going to be bringing, like, bags of knockoff Cheetos and stuff because he's a hungry boy and it's cheaper than buying the real thing. Yeah, probably. Actually, probably not Beast because he's good at getting catfish so he'd probably be told that he's buying some delicious treats. When in fact, he's bringing home a bag of rocks. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, God. Beast does love eating those rocks. Wait, you mean there's also rock candy intriguing oh my stars and garters this is edible i don't need to rely on my mutant digesting factor yeah i feel like storm would probably be the person to go to since she has the most world experience and also knows where to get good team snacks because like cyclops has been in with Xavier for too long, so he'd probably bring, like, apples and carrots, which aren't bad, but it's not, like, good party food. Nope. Jean, Jean's sort of in the same position, but she'd at least know to bring, like, dips with the apples and carrots. 
uh, Wolverine would bring like Ultimate Wolverine would bring like a six pack of beer, but two cans are missing already. Mm-hmm. And Ultimate Kitty it, would probably be good. I feel like she'd be all right. No, okay, I figured out who the best one would be. Well, be she'd Bobby. just be bringing wine coolers. Let's be real. Yeah, no, Bobby would be the per. Bobby and Storm would be the best people to go to. I was also thinking Bobby. But if his parents find out that he's bringing snacks to the X-Men, then his snacks would get confiscated. Yeah. So, like, Storm, I guess, for her abilities to be self-reliant and her worldly understanding would would bring the best snacks for the X-Men. What about for the Ultimates? That's a tough one. I would say either Ultimate Tony or Ultimate Thor. I mean, Thor, you know what you're going to get to a degree, but I feel like mm-hmm. he'd be the person who gets like all of the like vegetarian snacks. Oh, 100%. I mean, he'd, he'd bring good beer. I feel like Tony would be the person who would like have the best snacks that they'd bring in, because Captain America doesn't know about our advances in snacks. Nope. Black Widow is going to keep the best snacks a secret. Um, Hawkeye. We don't know also... enough about Hawkeye to say yes. Yeah. Hawkeye's bringing good snacks. Well, you know who I think would do it, Nick Fury, because he understands that he has a pretty much unlimited budget. He would know who's going to be at the party before you've even invited them, so he is going to bring snacks that everybody enjoys. It's a toss between Fury and Tony, because Tony also would just have the money where he would just afford all the snacks, regardless of who was showing up. Well, and where do we stand on Wasp bringing in snacks? Because I feel like Wasp could do a pretty good job. She would like be she'd... fine for the for like the norms. Well, I think she'd be good at like bringing in the high quality versions of things, but. Like, there's a point where, yeah, you can get tiny sliders, but that's not the same thing as getting real barbecue sandwiches. Yeah. Uh, Okay. Uh, For the Hellfire Club, we really only saw Sebastian Shaw, but then also those celebrities who will need to keep an eye out to make sure that they've stayed dead. I'm looking at you, Alan Greenspan. You, You tricky, you tricky, tricky boy. I feel like Arnold would bring some good snacks. You don't think that he'd bring in, like... Well, I guess it would depend on the party, because I can see him being the person who brings in all the healthy snacks if it's going to be something, like, fitness-related, but other times he would be like, Oh, yes, I am bringing the bratwurst. Yes. Putin just brings human flesh. Putin doesn't like chocolate. That's a real thing. Well, and he was offered some by one of his bodyguards. He turned it down. Uh, What about Ted Turner? I mean, he does come from the city where Coke flows like water. Coca-Cola flows like water. Yes. And he is Captain Planet. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I feel like we don't have enough information on them uh what about the i was gonna say the only thing i really know about ted turner is just the parody things of ted turner uh well 
Uh, what about the Brotherhood of Mutants? I mean, we went through a lot of them this week. I feel like Blob in this point would not have a good concept because this is also the Blob who later on is going to eat a guy. Yeah. Blob was looking like he was eating some good snacks, though. Yeah, but... But he's probably not going to share. Yeah, he is not going to share. Honestly, um, probably Wanda. Yeah, we didn't discuss uh, Quicksilver or Wanda for the Ultimates. Quicksilver... Because the thing is, Quicksilver's got that power of, oh, we, we need a different snack. Bam, I can get to the store and back. But he's also a dick, so he wouldn't do that. Yeah, though we did see... Well, I think the only reason why he was so good at bringing drinks to everybody in this one was because he knew if he didn't get those drinks fast enough, they would let him die. Oh, 100%. Wanda, I feel like she might not have enough information to get good snacks. Uh, Toad, we don't know enough of. Maybe Rogue? Maybe. Maybe Rogue. We need to get some more information. Uh, send us this question in a few more episodes to prove that you have listened to this podcast and we will see if we can get you a better answer. And now, Devin, do you think you or I bring better snacks to parties? Probably you, Luke. Okay, I'll accept that. <laughs> Why did you say that? I don't know. Okay. Because you like would think about like this very specific type of one, where I would probably just grab some like chips and dip, and then just call it a day. I am the person who like organizes. Oh, hey, it's D and D day. We're going to have a potluck. We need everyone to bring something, and I'll take care of this stuff that's hard to get, but that I know how to get good stuff. Yes, I like my snacks are perfectly adequate. Everyone eats them, but you would put more thought and just say here are the tortilla chips here is the dip thank you devin that's i i appreciate that compliment that snack related compliment uh all right well thank you for your question play comics podcast that has been good good snack content uh you can also send us questions at multiversal q but, uh, Devin, you know what it is time for now? For some ranking? Yeah. So we got three stories to rank this time. Hellfire and Brimstone, Return of the King Prelude, and Ultimate War. Numbers one through four. Hellfire and Brimstone's weird because I don't feel like all the elements go super well together. Yeah. But it was also a good story. Or, like, a good arc. Yeah, I feel like I want to put it under Ultimate Spider-Man Power and Responsibility right above Venom. Yes. So our new number eight. Is. Oh no, why is it not pasting? Oh no. Okay, there it goes. Oh, maybe, oh, I was apparently pressing the wrong button. So our new number eight is Ultimate X-Men Volume 1, numbers 21 through 25, Hellfire and Brimstone. Up next we have issue 26, Return of the King, Prelude. Which I think it's interesting, but I didn't feel like there was a lot of super new stuff that we haven't sort of seen already. Yeah. 
so I don't think it's as good as the. Tom- I think it's not as good as World Tour, but it's probably better than the half issue of Ultimate X Men. Mm-hmm. So our new number nineteen is Return of the King Prelude, and then at last we have Ultimate War number one through four. Um, I definitely like it better than the second half of Ultimates Volume One. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's I think a good crossover comic. Yeah, I think it's better than Venom 2. Like, it's more consistent all the time. Mm-hmm. I don't think it has as much fun stuff as Hellfire. No, I I don't know if it's better than Hellfire and Brimstone. Where do you stand at? I would say it is. Better? Yeah. Not better than Spider-Man Volume 1, number 1 through 7, though? No. Yeah, that's going to be a pretty hard one to top. The first time I read through these, I was like, these aren't going to rank super high, but going and rereading them again, I appreciated their efficiency. I would agree. And that uh, ranks, or er, <laughs> and that uh, gets us uh what you're covering this time. Devin, where can people find you online? Uh, you can find me online at Fedovet. That's for E-D-D-O-F-E-T-T. And Luke, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me online on Twitter at, at Coltreg. That's K-O-L-T-R-E-G. Uh, you can also find both of us on the Exiled Podcast. Devin, you want to talk about the Exiled Podcast for a moment? Sure. That is an RPG podcast where we play as different time-traveling or more of like reality displaced versions of Marvel characters. We have and, fun. Yeah, you can find out about that at exiledpodcast.com. Uh, you can also check out the other RPG podcast I do, uh, RPG Pals Club at rpgpals.club, which is a uh, actual play D&D podcast, which is also very good. And um, Ultiverse Q is a, a podcast on alternating weeks. After this episode, after this episode goes up, you should be seeing some sort of uh, content related to the panel that I gave the day before this episode is going up at Jim City Comic Con with Zach, aka Xavier Files, and. Uh, yeah, look forward to that. I don't know what all I'm going to be doing at Jim City Comic Con, but it should be good. And I'm going to be doing a panel dressed as the lizard from Alt from the Amazing Spider-Man movie. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's almost everything. Devin, do you know what we're covering next time? Ultimate Fantastic Four? No. Well, I guess draw. Uh, we are covering Ultimate X-Men Return of the King and then some more Ultimate Spider-Man which includes Geldof ooh we'll be hitting the section of Ultimate Spider-Man where I first started reading this comic I don't remember anything about Geldof dude Geldof's the best fucking blows cars up for fun because it makes him seem cool to the other teens I do like being cool to the other teens. Yeah. I got those three issues because I ate enough cheese sticks because that was one of the promotions that Frigo Cheeseheads was was putting on. I believe I remember you mentioning that one before. Yeah. 
All right. Well, uh, Devin, mm-hmm. I think we did a pretty good episode here. We got some good snack talk. Everyone likes snack talk. And hopefully Beast is not going to get catfished again. But there's still a chance. Yeah. He is the horniest mutant. Oh, so horny. Mama McCoy's horny bouncing boy. Well, until next time, I'll catch you on the flip mode. Peace.